Welcome to the Product Experience. I'm Lily Smith, and here's my co-host, Randy Silver. Mmm, brains. Brains? Are you feeling okay, Randy? Yeah, this week on the podcast, we have someone who knows all about things that eat our brains. You mean like small children, or... Oh, wait, hang on. You mean zombies. Exactly like zombies. This week, we've got Lisa Long, the co-founder of Six to Start, makers of the game Zombies Run, and she's identified zombies in our products that we must kill. And after listening to this, you'll definitely stop in the middle of a team meeting with your eyes slightly narrowed in a dramatic way and chin in hand, and you'll nod and say, we've got a zombie. I guarantee you. So to find out what we're going on about, let's talk to Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us on the Product Experience Podcast. It would be really great if you could give us a really quick intro into who you are and what you've done from a kind of product point of view in your in your life. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. My name is Lisa Long. I am a product manager by the way of engineering. So I started off in engineering, worked in enterprise software for about a decade, then switched over to the product side and worked more in consumer stuff. Uh, my claim to fame is a few years ago uh, at Product Tank London. I actually gave a talk about killing zombies because my startup company is called Six to Start. We make a game called Zombies Run, and it's for people who hate running. Um, and at the time I was actually giving the speech, I was mashing up my zombie experience uh, with my experience at Appearin, which is a video conferencing solution. So I had just left Skype and I had joined Appearin in Oslo, Norway. So... <laughs> so killing zombies and zombie running so just walk me through how how does that work like you you get better at running by running away from zombies i take it <laughs> <laughs> so the idea behind this came from naomi alderman um, and adrian Hahn, my co-founder at uh, six to start and the idea behind it was effectively that people hate running it's a terrible way to spend your time and what you need to do is there are people who want to get fit and want to start running. And so we need to find a way to incentivize them to actually start running. So the idea behind Zombies Run is that we'll tell you the story about the zombie apocalypse and you are a character in that story. You're runner five. And your job is you run supply missions for Able Township. And so the idea is that you have to run on a regular basis because one, you want to find out what happens in the story. And two, you're actually the supply runner. So you have to go out and run and get things because otherwise, um, you know, the township's not going to have enough supplies to function. And so because this is the zombie apocalypse, at a certain point in time when you run, you'll then hear, uh, you know, if you put zombie chase mode on, it'll tell you zombies are coming. And then you have 60 seconds to increase your speed by 20%. Um, and this has come at really inopportune times for people, like at the bottom of Broad Street Hill in uh, San Francisco or at the bottom of the fjells up in the Lake District. <laughs> um, it's really kind of epic sometimes where um, these things come. And we have some really great stories of people who, um, you know, have screamed and run in very inappropriate places. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's been good fun too, reading about that. Um, but yeah, so that's the idea. So how long have you been building this? Um, so we launched uh, way back in the day. We ran a Kickstarter for it in October 2011. And back in the day, we got 3,500 people to actually back us. And we raised $70,000, over $70,000, which was the highest amount ever raised for a Kickstarter game. Um, and we launched in February of 2012. So we are actually about to go into season eight um, this year in May. And we're super excited because, uh, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of people who are eagerly awaiting for this. And we have millions of people who have actually downloaded the app. 
Um, so we have a pretty good community of people who are all running away from zombies because they hate running, but they do like listening to our stories. So yeah. <laughs> we've got them hooked. <laughs> And and the Killing Zombies talk is all kind of focused around identifying elements of your product, which, uh, and the analogy kind of totally made sense when I heard the bit where you go, so there's some bits of your product or, or your roadmap or whatever that, that eat your brains. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, yeah, zombies, of course. <laughs> So do, have you found that presumably with a, a kind of longer running product or, you know, with the potentially more legacy stuff there and more technical debt that you have identified quite a lot of zombies in your own product? Yes. Um, so at the time I was writing the speech, uh, I was actually just starting to work for a company called Appearin, which makes a video conferencing solution. And at that time, Appearin was going through that kind of difficult phase of having been around for like my two years, kind of three years ish. And so it had enough code um, that it was actually, you know, able to actually have some really interesting and good functionality. But there were also some things there that had kind of been tests or experiments that we really needed to kind of rethink um, how we had actually put those in there. So this speech was a, you know, a good mashup of my, my world of zombies run and thinking about killing zombies and how do you motivate people to actually do this. And the idea of like, you know what, there's just a bunch of stuff that's sucking our brains in appearance. <laughs> it's, it's, it's taking our dev time. It's making us have to answer support cases we don't want to answer. Like people are doing weird things with the product. And it's just like, oh. But it also, um, this harkens definitely back to my, my life in enterprise software for the first 10 years of my existence, where um, you know, we had these huge products, like huge products that had, you know, so many features and like 5 million screens. And so there was, you know, these products, uh, a lot of times we were working with people like in telecommunications companies um, and insurance companies and banks. And they had a lot of software that was really big, really unwieldy and kind of connecting together like multiple legacy systems. So they could have data from like 1972. Um, and, you know, <laughs> because that was actually when they, you know, archived their paper archives into digital archives. And so, you know, that was everything that had been in the bank for the last, previous 300 years. Um, <laughs> and so there was a lot of stuff there that you're like, wow, there's like some serious undead, like people wandering around in um, this code. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's costing a lot of pain and suffering. Um, and, you know, because it's sucking people's brains, it's, you know, making loud noises in the night, um, all the things that is like unbecoming zombie behavior um, when it comes to your product. You're making me flash back and, to a time when I worked for a huge and scary banking company. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but remember, you're outside now. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so how do you identify these zombie products and features? So the first thing you can do is and the best thing you can do is not build something, right? So this is the whole kill early idea. And if there's a way for you to actually figure out like, hey, we should never build this feature in the first place, or this really isn't a place that we should go, that's a wonderful, wonderful situation. And the way you actually find this is that, you know, simple things that, you know, we always talk about as product managers, but we don't always necessarily get the chance to do. So like doing user testing. So if you have an idea and you're like, yeah, I think this is a really good idea. Like, can you just go out and do some kind of qualitative research and figure out like, hey, do people think the way we think they do about the solution. Um, and this, one of the biggest kind of lessons we got from appear in was that we had um, thought about this idea of an ownership model for rooms. So rooms were kind of like the pages where you could actually go and have your video conferences. And we had thought like, oh, okay, 
we're in Norway. And at the time we were targeting teenagers for them to actually use this product. And we thought, oh, okay, you know, teenagers in Norway, or this is me anyway, obviously the rest of the baby was Norwegian. So they didn't think this, but <laughs> I did. <laughs> Norwegians are egalitarian. And so clearly all the kids are going to want to actually own the room together. And they're going to want to actually like share all the responsibilities together. And so we should build a model for them to be able to share everything and do everything together. And so, you know, Thank God I had a wonderful user researcher named Anna. <laughs> and Anna's like, why don't we test this? And it's like, yes, Anna, you're right. We should go and test this. And so she went out and tested it. And it turned out I was totally wrong. <laughs> they were not egalitarian at all. They wanted to have very much of a hierarchy. So it was like the person who owned the room and they had all of the powers. And then there were going to be some lackeys they had. And the lackeys would then have certain powers they could actually do of kicking people out of rooms and locking the room and so on. But when it came to like the, the fundamental idea of this, you know, egalitarian, everybody sharing things, like absolutely it was a completely wrong model in our heads. So user testing, best way to do this because you don't have to build anything. You can just ask people. Um, the other thing that's really helpful is check technical feasibility. Like, cause a lot of times you may have things that pass user testing, but the actual likelihood of you being able to build this, uh, particularly if you're in a startup company and you have a limited amount of resources, um, it's like, oh, we could build that if we had six years and 18 scientists and 14 <laughs> hovercrafts. Like, sure, totally, no problem. So checking the feasibility of this, also a good way to actually prevent you from building something that's impossible. And the other thing too is that I find especially when it comes to like a lot of consumer, um, like I, I work with a lot of startup companies and um, there are lots of people who have lots of money as hobbies. And so they worked in an industry where they have a lot of money. And so then they decide, okay, I'm going to go to a startup company. And so they take something that has been effectively a hobby for them and they start coding away and they build it and they release it into the world. And they're like, isn't this a great thing? But then the reality is it's like, okay, that's a great thing, but this is a hobby, not a business, because there's not a sound business case. People aren't willing, like the pain they're trying to solve is actually not big enough or not big enough of a deal for mm -hmm. people to actually want to pay something to do that. Um, and so that's kind of a sad thing is when people realize that their businesses are not businesses, they're hobbies. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, but I spent three years building this. It's like, well, you know, a little more thinking about whether anybody else needed this problem fixed would have been good a long time ago. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes it actually does work and you get it into market and you, uh, you've talked about how people uh, actually do use the features, but maybe not necessarily the way you thought they were going to use them. Yes. And so this is kind of in the, in the world where, you know, kind of I was saying killing early is one thing. If you can kill it before you build it, awesome. But now if we actually move into the idea of like, oh, okay, this is built. Like, I work for SAP or I work for Oracle. Like there's many, many things that have been built well before I ever got here. Um, and this is the thing you find is how do you actually find zombies in an existing product? And so this is the kind of thing where, you know, you can go and see, okay, let's take a look at the quantitative analytics. And do we see people using things in the ways that was not designed to be done? And the example I have for this from my days at Appearin is we have this feature where you could email to invite somebody to a room. And when you invited somebody to a room using email, what it would do is it would actually give that person access so that they could actually come into that room at any point in time. And the issue was that you were meant to actually do this as more of kind of like a, oh, okay, I'm giving you access to my room because you and I are going to share this room and we're going to, you know, forever and ever and ever. But people were using it to do things like have one-off conversations. And because they were using it for one-off conversations, the issue was that people would actually click on this link and go back in the room and they would come in in opportune times. <laughs> and so we realized, oh no, these people are using this as an invitation system. And what we really wanted them to do is like, 
do more of this kind of like what I was talking about before the membership or mm -hmm. the shared ownership stuff. So we realize like, okay, customers aren't using this the way we actually intended. And so this is something we really need to kill and we need to replace it with this idea of like, okay, shared ownership model inside the rooms. Um, because you know, this is a zombie. It's, it's sucking people's brains. They're like, Hey, I don't understand. Cause like I used it this one way. Cause I expect it to work like this, but it didn't work like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, we saw from their usage patterns, like, yeah, that was not what we were thinking, but we totally see why you got there. <laughs> yeah. But there, there, there are other places you can go dumpster diving. Um, it's not just your quantitative data that can tell you how people are doing things. Um, also talking to your support team is a great way to do it. So go take a look at support cases and see, hey, are there things that the support team is doing and it's taking them, you know, like they maybe get the support case like once every three months, but once they get it, it takes them eight days oh. to solve it. And it's just like brute forcing through like some server logs to actually pick up the every third request that's written out from a copying of a database somewhere. And you're like, why are you doing this? They're like, because we hate you. Because under the 14th menu of this one page in the product, when the customer does this, this is what happens. And so we spend eight days trying to fix this. Um, and so that's a good, another good place to go looking is find these things that are basically support cases that happen irregularly. But when they do happen, they're incredibly painful for your support organization. Another one that's kind of related to that is like product liability. I think a lot of people ran into this with GDPR uh, when that came into being last year. Is like, hey, we collect all this data from all these people. We have all these personal identifying details. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe that's not such a good idea anymore. So there are times when you actually have things inside your product that actually cause you product liability. And there are examples of this, like, you know, people who are like, oh, we have a chat tool that is aimed at small children and we allowed them to write numbers um, because, you know, writing numbers in chat is totally reasonable. Well, okay. But the problem is numbers for children are things like phone numbers or addresses. And if somebody decides not to be an eight-year-old and go into your chat forum and suddenly is able to get one of those kids to actually share numerical information... Hmm, bad. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and so you may in, unexpectedly have product liability um, because of the, you know, again, you thought, well, okay, you know, kids like to use numbers and when they're talking to each other, why isn't that, why is that a bad thing? And it's because you have to think twice, like, well, hang on a minute. What were the potential ways that somebody could do bad things with this? So looking at product liability, another way to actually do this. GDPR did a really good job, I think, of making everybody reconsider that, <laughs> the information they were collecting. And, and do you think that there's a specific time that's like a good time to start looking at your product through this kind of lens of, um, of I trying to identify um, zombies, basically? <laughs> I think when it, like, if you're really well behaved, which, you know, we all strive to be well behaved and none of us quite make it there. Um, you should really do this from the beginning when you actually start creating any product, right? So like when you first start anything, you should be like, right, what's, what are we going to build? Okay. Like what problem are we solving? Given that this is the problem we're going to solve and these are the ways we think we're going to do it. When you actually get to the point of actually testing stuff out and saying, okay, we build this and you know, this one doesn't work. Okay. Pull it out. But like I said, you know, when you're in the beginning, it's much easier to pull stuff out because it all seems really little and there's not that much legacy code. Once you're older, it's harder to actually do that. And so at that point, I think, um, you know, for early products, every experiment should be an experiment of, hey, should we pull this out? When you have older products, I think, you know, once a quarter maybe is a, a good rhythm to use to say like, okay, once a quarter, let's actually go through and let's go have a chat with the support people. And let's go talk to the compliance people and see if they have some things. Let's go see if people are doing weird things in the quantitative data. And, you know, sometimes you'll just stumble on this stuff and, you know, have a place to actually put in the things where you're like, hey, you know what, this should be a candidate. 
that we should take this out. Um, or, you know, we should probably think about, look at this closer um, and see if this behavior is really what we wanted. Or is this like encouraging people to do weird things with our stuff? So once you've identified something as a good candidate, how hard is it to actually kill it? Um, as always, <laughs> it depends. How much money did the customer give you to actually put that thing in there in the first place? <laughs> and how big is that customer now? And how much money do they, are they responsible for? No, seriously. So uh, it really does come down to like, okay, so you've identified this thing. You've found out the zombie. It's clearly sucking brains. There are people who are like, oh, I hear it in the night. And it goes, oh, in the basement. Um, <laughs> and so then you kind of have to ask a question about, like, you know, what's the ramification of us actually doing this? And so an easy way to kind of test this out is if you're kind of not sure, you're like, well, I think maybe some people use this or whatever, hide it, right? Hiding is the first thing to do because then if people actually all kind of get in a tizzy and they like inundate your support team with lots and lots of questions like, hey, like, where did this thing go? We can't find it anymore. Then, you know, like, okay, it was, turns out that was important. Yep. Okay. That's, that's, we need that still. Um, but the other thing you may find is like, okay, so now that we've hidden it, you know, it's been like six months and we haven't heard anything. Now, one thing that's really tricky is that sometimes there are things that are in products that like, you know, people only use at certain times, right? So it's like, oh, it's the monthly end. And so we ran this for two weeks and nobody said anything, but you didn't run it for the right two weeks when everybody needed it because it was tax season. <laughs> um, so you do have to be careful about like when you hide stuff or when you change things, because you have to really think about the consideration of like what the timing is around this. But let's say you did it, you figured out, yep, okay, this is definitely, you know, we can remove it. Then you kind of have to think like, all right, what's the real ramifications of this, right? So if I just pull this tiny little string, I'm sure nothing like, I'm sure this is a completely well-contained, doesn't affect anything else, won't touch anything. (laughs) Our rocket process isn't attached to this, is it? No, clearly not. (laughs) There's no hooks about verifying data going in and out of our streams based on this. Absolutely not. So yeah, so you want to check to see what the technical impact is. Um, You also want to check to see like any financial impact. So is that something that was made for a customer that pays a particular amount for actually having that particular functionality? Is there something about marketing? So sometimes there's stuff in products, which we all know nobody ever uses, but marketing talks about it because it's a cool, shiny thing. And so it's used by sales for demo but no one in the re- in their right mind would actually use this for any sort of production stuff. So you, you do have to actually check with kind of each of the departments and see what that impact is. And if you're like, okay, yep, let's kill it. Like this should die a fiery death. We should bring out the torches. We should bring out the backhoes. We, like all the things you use, good zombie gear for killing the stuff. Then you say like, right, let's do this. So just like any other work you have, like schedule it like that work, right? So you need to actually go through the estimation process. You need to go through like, you know, how big is this impact going to be? What kind of like information you're going to actually have to give the support team, the sales team, the marketing team, what kind of documentation is going to be affected by this? It's just like a release, like anything else you do. And you also have to think sometimes too, like, okay, just like when you've had an old feature that you're like, kill it, like you're transferring into a new feature. Like what is your, your, transition plan going to look like? Is this something where you're going to tell people, hey, this is really great. We love you and everything, but this particular functionality, our company's not doing it anymore. So please go to these four other companies who will be happy to do it for you. Or are you saying, you know what, we're not going to do this anymore. And you know what, no one's really going to notice. And so we're, you know, we've checked all this stuff out. And so we're telling you that it's being removed. Um, And if you actually need your data, we'll leave it up there for six months for you to actually retrain it. But definitely have a transition plan in place. 
um, because this is normally what bites people, like stuff gets shut off and then people scream and they're like, oh yeah, we totally didn't think about the fact that you actually needed that information. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> and gosh, you're an insurance company. Wow. We really <laughs> should have given that to you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing part of this too is you, there is a people factor, right? Like, so let's say you did everything right. You scheduled the work, you had all the documentation, you had this whole thing, but there is still going to be people who are like, but I love the button that went bing and it was a wonderful button and I really liked it. And now it doesn't go bing anymore. So you do need to like have a chat with them be like, yes, I know it's hard to move on. Have some cake, have some ice cream. Here are some flowers, especially basically the more money they pay your company, the more you need to give them nice things <laughs> so that you can help them move on and come to the better place that is without that feature in their life. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think there's, um, have you found um, in your experience mm -hmm. that there's a reticence to kind of spend time on taking things away? Because, you know, a lot of um, a lot of the time people just want to add stuff, right? They, they kind of feel good by writing lines of code and by delivering things. Is there a kind of a, a slight sort of like, what, you want to remove things? <laughs> yeah, I think this is the, um, the build a widget, get a cookie theory of things. Like, but if I build a widget, I get a cookie. If I take out 5,000 lines of code, is anybody going to give me a cookie? So <laughs> I think this is, this is a very important factor you have to address, which is, um, you know, nobody likes to hear that their baby is ugly. And so if someone is the one who actually built this code, a lot of times, um, I, as an engineer was definitely guilty of this as I was like, you can't take it away. I built it. It was my beautiful creation. It's like, no, it's not beautiful anymore. It grew up, it grew old, it grew ugly and wrinkly and weird. Um, it's got hair growing out of places we just don't want to talk about. We really need to kill this thing. So part of this is retraining people to get them to understand like killing something is not a bad thing. It's a good thing um, because it means you can do things faster, better. It's easier to test things, easier to grow things. So I have a feeling like in the beginning, in the, in the beginning of many coders lives, we are extraordinarily attached to this code. But as we grow up and we realize, oh God, this is what legacy code does is like, it slows us all down. We can't run these tests. We can't do this stuff as easily. Our architecture is not as modular. It's not as free. Older coders, I think it's easier to convince them like, hey, let's take this out because in their world, they're like, yes, please, I'd like to go faster. I would love to not have to run these like stupid regression tests on this one particular data type that we're only storing for this one company, which is in Bhutan. Like, this is not okay for me anymore. Um, so I, I find that... Younger coders, yes, more care and feeding to actually help them understand why removing things is good. Um, but also you have things like in sales, right? Like, or in, because um, they may have crutches in certain ways on this particular documentation or this particular feature for sales and demos. So there, there definitely is kind of a, a feeling that you need to incent people to actually pull stuff out. And also, like you say, everybody's focused on new stuff, right? Like they want to have new things. And so the idea of doing the care and feeding and the maintenance and the tech debt of actually pulling old code out and pulling old features, um, it needs to be something that really does come from the top. Like, so, you know, all the chief product officers out there and all the VPs of product, like, you know, go have a beer with that head of engineering, that CTO, and, you know, talk to them about the fact like, yeah, cleaning stuff up. This is good. Let's, you yeah. know, give people cookies for this. Because if we give people cookies, they will be like, hey, I built a widget and got a cookie and I took out some code and I got a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> and if there are more cookies, you know, more cookies, fewer zombies. That's what this is all about. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm learning <laughs> so much. <laughs> Go forth, kill more zombies. <laughs> um, so I can totally see this applying to startups as well. Whenever there's a pivot or a kind of slight, you know, a change in, in well, yeah, just any kind of a pivot of the of the product or the market or, or whatever, because you're trying to always move forward, but you kind of forget to take away the stuff that doesn't matter anymore or isn't relevant. So yeah, I think I think maybe in in terms of timing with startups, like that point at which you're kind of going, hang on a minute, we're going to change tax slightly. Also needs to be a time at which you go, okay, what are we getting rid of now <laughs> before we start growing growing the product again? Actually, yeah, there's a really um, if I if I'm able to like pitch another podcast in here, if that's not too terribly cheeky. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so there's a depends on which one. <laughs> Masters of scale for Reed Hoffman. <laughs> Um, so there's an excellent masters of scale thing where he actually talks about the pivot that LinkedIn had to make. And what he talks about is the idea that a lot of the times in a startup company, you'll have these early users and the early users drive you to a particular type of functionality, a particular type of um, behavior in your product. But in order for you to actually kind of cross the chasm, jump into that major market, um, you actually have to kind of leave those users behind and you have to actually change your product to actually not serve some of their needs. And this is really hard for startup companies because a lot of times these people who have been with you from the early days and been your religious you know, followers and said, yes, we believe in you when nobody else does and you really are solving our problem and you're really helping us. And to actually leave them behind and be like, I know, but actually there is a bigger problem we have to solve and it's not exactly your problem anymore. So while we've been catering everything we've been doing for you for the last, you know, one, two, three years, we're now going to make this shift and we're going to still, you know, we're going to go from trying to solve hundred percent of your problem to solving maybe 50 or 60% of it. And we're going to focus on this other area because then we're going to be solving hundred percent of these people's problems. Or, you know, I mean, that's our dream in product management is solving hundred percent of a problem, but maybe it's, you know, only 80 or 90%. And that's really important to be able to say, yeah, we're going to stop building for you. And it's doing that for a thing, killing them early. So it's saying, yep, okay, we were building for you, but now we're not. And so we're killing it early. We're not going to carry on this way. We have to actually switch tax and go and build for this bigger market. Takes bravery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, once your loved one has been bitten and you know that that loved one is going to turn, then you have to, you know, take that chainsaw to the head and be like, no, it's over. <laughs> You're just not the one anymore. You, you have to go because we cannot infect the entire city because I love you. You, it's, you know, you are now a zombie. I must kill you. <laughs> so is there any ever a time where you identify zombies um i'm just going to call them zombies because <laughs> we don't know what they are now and um you think actually no i'm not going to kill it i'm going to let it live yes and many times this has to do with um prioritization so like sometimes zombies can be locked in basements um and be considered you know controlled zombies <laughs> So this is a lot of times when you'll have a feature that maybe a particular client is using and they're spending a lot of money for you to actually use it. And particularly in a startup company in the early stages, if somebody's actually paying money for that particular feature and they're the only ones who are doing it, as long as you can stop other people from using it, then it allows you to kind of contain that zombie. So, you know, this is kind of Shaun of the Dead where <laughs> um, Simon Pegg has his friend Nick Frost locked up in the back, um, you know, and he play, goes and plays video games with them. Like sometimes that is what you have to do is that, you know, it's a zombie, you know, at some point you will have to kill it, 
but you have to live with that zombie for some time. So it's a matter of like isolating it, putting it in the backyard, putting it in, you know, a nice little games console of some sort to like keep it occupied most of the time. And if you actually have to go in and deal with that zombie, you know, you're limiting the amount of people who are exposed to it and will, may potentially get bitten. So your developers will hate you less because <laughs> um, only certain of them have to contend with that particular zombie. And you're not getting more and more people driven into the shed to like go get bitten by the zombie and having more and more customers using this piece that you actually don't want to be there. So what kind of results can you expect to see? There are obviously things like uh, you should be able to iterate faster, roll things out faster. Uh, You should have fewer support tickets in some cases. Uh, What other kind of effects should you see on your organization once you start killing the zombies? Um, So morale is actually a big thing, right? So the thing is, a lot of times um, the engineers who actually get stuck in the closet with the zombies and, you know, get bitten multiple times by, you know, they're like, oh, here I am again. And like, oh, I'm in this legacy code. Like it's, it's one of the worst parts. Um, a lot of times for developers is having to actually work in that legacy code. So if you're actually getting rid of these things, then it makes it a much nicer code base to work with. Um, and people feel like it, it's, it's a lightning of being <laughs> like, so it's easier to work with. And so it's, it's not just about the speed or about like, you know, better testing and so on, but it's actually like, wow, like, nobody has to go to that basement and deal with that horrible zombie anymore. Like, and it's nice because now we don't have like one person where we kind of have to give them more cake and ice cream. Um, cause they have to feel better about the fact that they had to work on those particular data exports. or they had to work on that, um, you know, transformation or whatever those pieces were. So I think morale is actually a bigger thing that you actually get from this. Um, but, uh, you know, another thing too, is just, training people not to have the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like, so this is, this is the, this is the main thing that every time somebody builds something, they want to hold on to it. It's like, look, killing this is, um, you know, and, and the good example of this is like, uh, like buying movie tickets, right? So you bought a movie ticket for, um, you know, insert terrible movie here. Um, and you didn't know it was a terrible movie and you went in and you started watching it and you're like, wow, this is a really terrible movie. Now, you know, the sunk cost fallacy is you say, damn it, I paid for that ticket. I am going to sit here until this movie is over so I can get my money's worth. And, you know, not being a victim of the sunk cost fallacy is basically saying, you know what, this movie sucks. I'm going to go home and eat ice cream and read a book because like that is a better use of my time. (laughs) And so getting out of that movie theater and going. And that's another thing I think that drives a lot of people is this idea that like, oh, but we built all this code. How can we throw it out? And it's like, yeah, you built all that code. It is not helping you now. (laughs) So get rid of it. Um, so I think it's a, the, um, uh, I, I'm blanking on the name of the woman who's like telling everybody to like simplify their lives right now. Marie Kondo. Um, there we go. Marie Kondo. So it's the Marie Kondo of your company <laughs> because it's getting rid of like documentation that your sales team doesn't want to have to talk about. It's getting rid of stuff that, you know, support cases, it's getting rid of, uh, marketing stuff. It's, it's cleaning stuff out to have a simpler, nicer, easier life. Do you ever get like, I don't know, what, what are zombies before they fully become zombies? Like half zombies? Proto-zombies. Um, <laughs> where, you know, they're kind of, they're there, but they're not really doing any damage. You know, I can imagine sort of like, you know, there's stuff that lingering and it's not being used or it's, you know, a little bit annoying, but it's not, you know, it's, there's no kind of major damage there. Do you, like, what do you do with, with those ones? 
Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the, like, so I, I can think of a good example from this um, at Appearin. Um, we had this one piece of functionality that I will not name, but it was a piece of functionality that I hated and I wanted to kill it <laughs> badly with a, the, the, the fire of a thousand suns. I wanted to kill this thing <laughs> because it was, um, it was just causing us all kinds of problems and all kinds, and it was, it was weirdly implemented because it was kind of an experiment that we kind of never like half pulled out, whatever. And so all the, the thing is that every time I looked at it and every time I looked at our user behavior and we kind of talked about this and whatever, like nobody was really bothered by it. Like I was bugged by it, <laughs> but yeah. nobody else really was like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of okay. It's there, you know, whatever. So like we hit it. And again, like once it was hidden, it was kind of like there, but the thing is it wasn't big enough. Like it was, it was one of these things where like we pulled uh, on the threads. It was actually going to cause some damage to some other pieces of like how we actually done some certain notifications and certain things. And so we couldn't, just kind of pull it out wholesale. We actually needed to kind of do a fair chunk of re-architecting around it. And it was kind of like, eh, if we just leave it in there, it's, you know, it's, it's the zombie locked in the basement. Like we'll mm -hmm. have to work around it a bit, but we don't have to actually change this right now. But I will tell you uh, about a year afterwards uh, when I had switched jobs and work was working inside Telenor, um, the dev team did come back to me and said, Hey, you know, that zombie that was like totally, totally like killing you. Um, we killed it. <laughs> Yeah. And I celebrated massively. I ate much chocolate. And I was like, yes, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. I am so happy that thing is dead. Um, because the thing is, it does, you know, while you can lock the zombie in the basement and it can like, you know, shuffle around there and bump into things. The reality is it did actually have a toll. Like it did make things slower. It did actually cause problems. And, you know, Aperion was, you know, fortunately relatively young and it didn't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of lines of code lying around. Um, but if we had kind of let it sit there in the basement, then this does kind of become a no-go zone. And what you find a lot of times in a lot of legacy products is there are a lot of zombies that people were like, well, you know what? I just, I, nobody really knows how that part works. So just don't touch anything there. And oh, nobody really understands that part. So yeah, just don't touch anything there. And the more you have that kind of area in your code, the more and more fragile your code base is because you don't really understand what's going on in these places. All you know is that, I don't know, Bob went in there, he got eaten. That was five years ago. So we just, we don't go there anymore. <laughs> like, you, you can't really do that. Um, I mean, like, actually, no, let me, I, let me back up. You can do that, but at some point <laughs> it will come back and haunt you. And, you know, a lot of times this is where you see people having like the really unfortunate fails, right? Because it's the security breach, it's the GDPR, it's the hackers found this you know, back door into this place. Um, because nobody was willing to go in there. Nobody was willing to actually see what that was. Nobody was willing to update that piece. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, you can ignore the zombie, but you should at least note that the zombie is there and you should, you know, like I said, have a regular plan for like getting rid of those zombies. Do you have any zombie regrets? Do you have any zombies that you killed that you, you regretted later? I have to say no. Um, <laughs> I have, I have things that like I didn't kill um, that I, I like, I wish I was like, Oh man, if we had just killed this earlier, like this wouldn't be the problem that it is now. Uh, but I don't have um, any regrets about anything I've killed. And I think honestly, that's actually a bad on me. It means I haven't killed enough. Um, so, you know, this is, this is the mental note to myself is like, yeah, you know what? I need to actually be a little more, um, enthusiastic about going out and killing things because it is going to make the difference. It is going to like help um, in making things cleaner, nicer, faster to work with. Are there any other kind of monsters besides zombies that we need to watch out for? 
many. I mean, I know there's hippos and zebras and all and seagulls and all of those. But mm-hmm. Anything else supernatural that you want to give a shout out to? Well, let's see. I mean, um, you have the hanky pox and you have the gremlins. <laughs> And the, um, that's okay. I'm not going to make you. I think, uh, yeah, I was going to say, really, I, I think uh, the zombie is the one that I think is the most, um, that, that's the one I've really focused on because that's having come from a legacy, you know, coming from enterprise software, that's the thing I see the most of. Um, so, certainly when it comes to that, um, zombies are the most frightening and the ones that keep me up at night um, and they scare me the most. Because they can do a lot of damage. Um, we've all seen the zombie films. We've all seen the zombie apocalypse. Um, yeah, I mean, heck, we, we made an entire game about zombie apocalypse, and it got people who hate running to run. So that's how scary zombie apocalypse is, people. <laughs> <laughs> so don't let it happen to your code. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask you, has it made you run? Um, <laughs> incidentally, I was in a car accident, so I can't run. But I do actually walk to zombies <laughs> run, which you can also do. So I actually go for very, very long hikes uh, in the fabulous Norwegian woods um, and listen to zombies run while I'm walking. And it's still really <laughs> freaky. <laughs> I have definitely jumped in more than one occasion. <laughs> definitely going to have to try it out. Lisa, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. I haven't had this much fun in a long time. <laughs> See, it's, it's all about the zombie goodness, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Lisa. Thank you so much. That was really zombies, zombies and cookies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's going to be the, the the tagline for the episode, I reckon. <laughs> Excellent. I'm, I'm so glad I can have a cool title: zombies and cookies. So now you have to go see how many zombies you can find in your product. And that's all from us today. Please stay safe from zombies, look after your brains, and we'll see you next time. Please like and subscribe and feel free to tweet us your thoughts or just to say hi. And we'll see you next time. Bye! We'd love to know what you think. Please tweet us at MTP pod. The product experience is part of the mind, the product network. Check out your local product tank today. Find it at mindtheproductcom slash product tank. And here's global product tank manager, Mark Abraham to tell us more about what product tank is. Product tank is a global community of meetups in over 155 cities across the world, driven by and for product managers, whether you have a group discussion or you're listening to speakers The whole idea is to create a safe environment for product people to come together and to share their learnings and tips. Have you seen a great talk? Nominate a future guest on the podcast channel on the Mind the Product Slack. You can find that at mindtheproduct.slack.com. If you want to learn more about product management, take a look at mindtheproduct.com slash training to see what courses are on near you. Emily Tate is our executive producer. Our theme music comes from the German band POW, featuring Arnie Kittler of Product Tank Hamburg. And that's goodbye from Randy and Lily. See you next time. Bye.